0: Welcome to episode five of the book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. Hi, everybody. Hey. Happy actually official New Year. We we actually recorded our Happy New Year episode before it was the new year. Right. And, and I'm not used to that. Year. You know, yeah. we're not in sales, or at least you used to be. I've never yeah. been in sales where you have to buy stuff, you know, like a year before they go on sale. Yeah. Or something
1: like well, and that would be confusing, too, because you're planning for a couple months ahead Executing the current stuff and then computing your results from what you just did a couple months ago to get your ROI. Right.
0: (laughs) So from this point forward, we'll be recording in the same year that we're, uh, you know, that we're in. Yeah, which is helpful to me. I'm I'm seemingly constantly confused about what day of the week it is, (laughs) and what the date actually is because you you didn't help me in that endeavor at all.
1: So like January, I thought fifth with Emily's birthday. And I text her, I was like, hey, happy birthday. And she texts back like, hey, thanks. And then I see on Facebook January 10th, it's Emily's birthday. I was like, what the? (laughs) So I texted her, I was like, "Um, I thought you already had your birthday. (laughs) And what you said.
0: (laughs) Well, it's so funny because when I got that text from you, it was the day that I had just gotten, the day after I had just gotten back from my big drive to Ohio. So I was, I had whatever the equivalent of jet lag is car lag, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I got your text and I was like, Oh my God, is it really the 10th already? (laughs) And January is a big work month for me. So I immediately freaked out, you know, instead of looking at my phone to see what day it actually was. So Thanks, Chris. You yeah. created all sorts of confusion in my life. <laughs> but look at how much more time you have now. <laughs> That's right. That's right.
1: <laughs> all right. Oh, well, boy. we have a, a big episode. Since it's been about three weeks since we recorded, we should also say that our plan is to have a new podcast every other week, every right. other Tuesday.
0: And We had two in a row there because we did the holiday mm-hmm. special. Right. So. Right. Yeah. So now we're on schedule. So this, this podcast should be... Be posted on Tuesday, Tuesday, and then you know be looking for us every other week after that. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. So
1: big, big stuff is going on. Three weeks we haven't recorded. We've done reading. Yes. That we're going to talk about. So, oh. so we're. I'm sorry. Oh no. Would you like to start with what you just read? Yeah. Sure. Just read. I, I read a book that I talked about as an upcoming read in a, co- a couple episodes ago. It's The Trap, by Melanie Robb. R-A-A-B-E is her name. This was a big hit in Germany in 2015. It's a mystery thriller, and it was just published in the States recently. It's translated by Imogene Taylor. And I have to say, it's I thought it was a great concept. It's about a woman writer who's a recluse. She's you know been uh, that way for 10, 12 years, I think, ever since pretty much her sister was murdered and she thinks she knows well she has an idea who killed her sister Mm -hmm. and she's a literary fiction writer and she decides her next novel will be a thriller because she wants to set a trap for the killer by writing this novel that's pretty much based on everything that happened. So I love that concept. That was a great concept. I just didn't think the energy was there in the execution of it. And that could be a translation issue. Mm, Not exactly sure. I know the book was compared to Gone Girl and The Silent Wife, which are books that I read. And I, it's not that I dislike them. They just didn't really do much for me. It's also been compared to The Girl on the Train, which I did like that a lot. Um, so I, I recommend the book. It wasn't as gripping as I wanted it to be, but I still, I, I like the I like the idea, and I will keep an eye out for more books in translation from Melanie Robb. Well, that's a good sign if yeah. you want to read her again. So it is the a good sign, good. yeah. Well, yeah. you know what? One thing about the translation that annoyed me, and this could potentially be a spoiler. I don't really think it is, but it was one thing that gave me a little tension when I was reading it, She's an unmarried person, and they call her Frau in the mm-hmm. book. They referred her as Frau, whatever her last name is. And in German, that is reserved for a woman who's married. And if you're not married, you're a Fraulein. even if you're eighty five years old and you've never been married. yeah, you know, so mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking like, was she married in the past? Like what's happening because there's a oh, fiance so that's referred to. That. Yeah, yeah, so so I don't know if that was intentionally left there in the translation. Or, you know, what it was in German. It'd be interesting to, to hear about that. So, hmm. yeah. yeah. So The Trap by Melanie Robb.
0: Excellent. Well, I um, read The Underground Railroad by oh. Colson Whitehead, which was the winner of the 2016 National Book Award. Um, it is a book about slavery. There's a lot of um, cruelty in it, you know, um, beating of people's slave owners, beating their slaves. Um, which really brought to mind for me the idea of power over another human being and why people feel the need to f- have power over other humans. Um, the flip side of that was that you really could see that um, slaves, particularly slaves that escaped and um, traversed the Underground Railroad, had grit and fortitude and a willingness to you know, risk their lives, obviously, to um, seek freedom. And one of the uh, differences in this book from other books written about the Underground Railroad is that Colson Whitehead imagines the Underground Railroad to really be a train, a Mm -hmm. railroad train with tracks, Um, which I know was something, Chris, when you started reading it, that troubled you. I actually felt like that wasn't a very big part of the story. And um, was actually a little disappointed. Like, I felt like that wasn't very well thought out, that piece of it. I was not disappointed by the book at all. I loved the book. Um, Well, I think it's weird when you say you love a book that's about cruelty and mistreatment of other human beings. So I didn't love the subject matter of the book. I thought it was very well written. And I'm glad that I read it. Um, I did spend Christmas Day reading this book. Um, and I was invited to some friends' houses for Christmas dinner, and I live alone, so I finished the book, and I didn't have anybody to talk to about it, so I arrived at Christmas dinner, and I'm like, <laughs> I want to talk about slavery, and you know, I started to say like, why do people have to beat the shit out of other people, and I mean, that was actually one of the things I really was interested in understanding, like there were slave owners who actually treated their slaves very kindly, almost as if they were members of the family, which I know is crazy because they owned them. But, and then there were slave owners that had to just, you know, be cruel and beat their slaves and prove that they were in a position of power, Mm -hmm. you know? So I sit down to Christmas dinner to have this conversation and all of a sudden I have, I'm looking at all these faces that are just kind of perplexed and then all of a sudden, I realized, like, oh right, it's Christmas, you know. <laughs> and so, I had to apologize and move on to a different subject.
1: You know, you think about it as an economic system, which goes back to the beginning of the written word. There's texts about slavery, and it's right. been an assumed cultural occurrence, I guess, in, in various cultures. But then, when you think about that, when you think about why were some people just so cruel when there was no point in it, mm-hmm. it just it's mind boggling. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, someone that I talked to not on Christmas Day about the book said that he felt like it's all about being compensatory. You know that there are people who need to wield their power over other people in order to make up for things that they lack or they feel that they lack anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I don't know if that. I mean, I'm sure. So some that's of part of part of human trait. nature for right. some
1: people. Yeah. So yeah. what do you do then with that if that is a human? you know, a need that some humans have, and there's mm-hmm. not a system of slavery.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do they get that
0: release or that fix that they need? Well, we're seeing a very perfect example of that in our country right now, aren't we? <laughs> Which I don't think we want to go down that path today, but um yeah, I mean, it comes out <laughs> Well, we could talk about ways.
1: heterosexual marriage, too, yeah, because that kind of came up in a couple, well, yeah, it did come up in, in a couple of the books that I've read recently, including mm-hmm. the biography of Shirley Jackson, just the cruelty that's what that can be within marriages when marriage is a structural system, right? right where, you know, one of the members of that marriage feels trapped and like they have no choices. Mm-hmm. Well that's a good segue into that book. Do you want that to talk
0: book? about that book? Yeah, we could talk yeah. about that book. Are you are
1: you Yeah, yeah. Well, now wait. You listened to it too, didn't you? Did you listen and
0: read oh, that Oh, I did. One? Yeah, thank you. I yeah. did. I listened to I did the audio and the a reading of that um which I don't think I can count towards my reading goals cuz that actually happened in 2016. 16? That's one of my okay. reading goals, but it was good practice mm-hmm. for my reading goals for 2017. Um And I liked the narration, actually. It was a really good narration, and but I also think it was a good book to read because there were some interesting, um, I guess you'd want to call them kind of images of placards at the beginning of chapters that were showing, um, you know, slaves that had escaped and what And the owners, you know, the rewards that were out for them and things like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, which Mm -hmm. that is one other thing I wanted to talk about, too, was not only the power dynamics, but how there were certain people, you know, slaves who helped the slave catchers go after the people who were fleeing towards the Underground Railroad. And that was a whole other side to it to me of like, Mm -hmm. why do people turn on their own? Yeah, You know, the whole self-preservation aspect of slavery Mm -hmm. and other, you know, obviously during World War II with the Nazis and Jews and things like that. So, you know, there are people who, there were, you know, white non-slave owners who were willing to risk their selves and the lives of their families to participate in the Underground Railroad. And then there were, you know, black slaves who... Wanted to help go after the other slaves, you know, it's really interesting human nature, study of human nature. Yeah,
1: human nature and societal structures, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm because you do, uh, you know, in World War Two with the concentration camps or even uh, the the social constraints on Germans who felt compelled to participate. Right if not participate actively, go along with the flow or
0: keep their mouth shut. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is something that I have heard people say, again, not to get too political, but about what's happening in, in America right now is that historically what some people start to have talked about is, you know, what were the other people during, doing during the reign of, you know, dictators like Hitler? You know, mm-hmm. what were the common citizens doing? You know, mm-hmm. how, how did they let that occur. Some wonder if history is repeating itself yeah. in that area. Well, you know? and
1: it's a manipulation of a system that it didn't, you know, it didn't just happen overnight in Nazi Germany and it's not happening overnight here. This right. has been something that goes back for decades. Yeah, it's a big right. it's yeah. a big topic. To well,
0: we've got a lot <laughs> of books to talk about. To so.
1: <laughs> and the thing is too, like talking about social structures is I jump into talking about um, Ruth Franklin's Shirley Jackson, A Rather Haunted Life. Uh, and I made the comment earlier about heterosexual marriage. And and I should say, it's not, it's any relationship between two people sure. yeah. has potential for abuse, the potential for violence. So I uh, don't want to come off sounding like it's just a heterosexual marriage thing. I think it's a human issue. Right, I thought
0: you were implying that because of Ruth, you Ruth, um, no. Not Ruth Franklin. Shirley, Shirley Jackson. Jackson was married to a man. Yeah. So that's why oh, I thought okay. he was doing yeah. that. But no, I agree. It can be in any relationship. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So some
1: of them are just a little bit more socially sanctioned yes. than others. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I finished the biography this morning and I really enjoyed it. I did a combination reading and listening, mainly listening. And it was read by Bernadette Dunn. And I loved her voice. I loved her reading of it. I did mainly listen to it at 1.5, but I really enjoyed it, and I didn't know anything about Shirley Jackson before picking up the book other than what Ruth Franklin said at the event we went to, and I look forward to reading more of Shirley Jackson's fiction, for okay. sure. You know, she, she talked a lot about how her fiction and her nonfiction came out of her life, as it does for every writer, but I, I, just, I think I said in a previous episode that I just really liked the a gentle hand for the most part that Franklin has going through this and and Jackson lived a pretty fulfilled life in a lot of ways but a lot uh, she had a lot of challenges stemming back to and this is Franklin's take on things from her mother her mother being a controlling critical person who constantly wanted Shirley to conform to what she thought her daughter should be and Shirley didn't and that set her up to have to choose a husband who wasn't going to satisfy her in a way that she did. She didn't choose a partner who who was a partner. You know, she chose somebody who was somebody she had to rail against, at, at least in her um, journals and in letters, because he and this is, you know, from the beginning of their relationship, he believed he was not a monogam He wasn't in a monogamy. He didn't think that that was the way to go, and she knew that, but she still married him. So his his chronic affairs really took a toll on her emotionally, and I guess there's a correlation between his affairs and his behavior and her mental health, which was uh, up and down and, and pretty severe at times. She had agoraphobia for a while and anxiety, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you think about uh, you think about that and how you know your early relationships with your family can sometimes set you up to just kind of replicate that unsatisfied feeling or something that you have
0: to bang against. Amen, yeah. sister. Amen. I read, actually I read in a book um, a sentence yesterday that said, "Family can be a womb or a tomb." <laughs> I thought. That's perfect, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, so I totally I recommend the book. Whether or not you've read anything by uh, Shirley Jackson or not, I think it it's a really interesting read and a good audiobook. Okay. I didn't put together how long of an audiobook it
0: is, but it took me a while to get through yeah at one point five. So yeah, yeah. Well, the next book I read is a book called "The Book That Matters Most" by Anne Hood. Some might know her, she wrote a book, a fictional book about knitting, which I can't think of the title right now, but I know it was very popular. Um, the, the, it's a work of fiction, and it took place in Providence, Rhode Island, which I thought was interesting. It seems that a lot of my fiction lately has been New England fiction, just by chance, mm-hmm. not, not planned. And the premise of the story is it's about a woman who has had a devolution of her marriage and is invited into a book club. That's one of those invitation only book clubs where some, they keep it to a limited number and someone has to drop out in order for some, uh, someone new to be invited. And the way that the book club works is that they pick all of their reading for the year at the beginning of the year. In, in a you know, they meet with when they're not t- discussing a book to discuss their books for the coming year. Mm. And they have a theme every year and so the theme that year is about the book that matters most that that so you had to pick the book in your life historically that mattered most to you oh, okay yeah so they read some very um and and they used real books you know like to kill a mockingbird was one of them fahrenheit 451 was one of them and then each chapter where they're reading that book they have a quote um from the book to open the chapter which i thought was kind of fun but it it ends up becoming, you know, quite a family saga and the reading of the books is intertwined into the family saga. I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was it was a fast read and it was an enjoyable read for me during my time off from school. Um she's a good writer and I was compelled, you know, to really sit down and get lost in the book, which is always the type of book I'm looking for. When, yeah you know, stepping away from textbooks. So The Book That Matters Most by Anne Hood.
1: What book matters most to you?
0: Oh, don't ask me that question. <laughs> you know, it's funny, when I was reading it, I was like, that's like being asked who your favorite kid is. Like, no one's going to answer that question, you know. And then um, I just started my classes this week, and they, in our introduction videos, we had to choose the nonprofit that we liked the most. And I was like, what, are you kidding me? You know, so I actually don't feel like I could... Well, actually, that's not true. I also just got asked that by some people. We're starting a new book club, a group of us on Facebook, and they did ask that question. Mm-hmm. So I take it back. And my answer was um, that I can't answer that question. <laughs> but what I did decide is that there's a book that made me fall in love with reading. hmm that I remember thinking like if this is what reading's all about I'm in. Yeah. And it was um even though I know I was an avid reader before I read this book, but it was The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien, okay. which I read in 6th grade. And I think it maybe was the first, you know, fan sci-fi fantasy book that I read, which okay. now I'm not, you know, I don't really read that much. I every once in a while I do, but um I think it was just getting lost in the world of that book, Mm -hmm. you know, and I just decided I liked being in the world of books a lot. And so it's the one that stands out for me. Mm -hmm. It might've also been the first like really thick book I ever read. Yeah. (laughs) First grown up book. Yeah. 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 Very
1: cool. All right. Uh, Next on my list is a book I mentioned in the past as one I wanted to get to that had been lingering on my um, currently reading shelf and that is stone by stone the magnificent history in new england stone walls and it's by robert m thorson the book came out in 2002 and i found it actually at uh, the northshire
0: bookstore Uh, in manchester (laughs) is where i found it the one that started the podcast
1: the one that started it um yeah so i found it there in their use section and i and i started it back in may and i was into it but i put it down and just never got back to it and it's it starts with the geology, the formation of the land here in New England. And and that was interesting. And I'm, I'm not into geology or anything, but I thought it was very interesting and very, he, the way he wrote it was very understandable. It wasn't really technical, although there are some words I don't understand um, <laughs> that I had to look up. But he talked about how similar England and New England actually are mm. geographically, which is not something that I ever really thought of. Yeah. I don't know if other people think about these yeah, things, maybe. but like, and I think in school we were kind of just taught that, yeah, people came from England and they kind of gave places the same place name because that's what they knew. But in reality, it actually looks like those places. Mm. So that's why they have those names because they harken back yeah. to the land that the people came from. So that was a, an interesting start to it. And there are a couple, I could just say a couple really cool things that I learned Uh, Another myth is that when the British or Dutch, whoever first came over to whatever part of New Mm -hmm. England, and they started farming, that they had to deal with all these rocks and stones in the ground. And that wasn't the case at all. What they first had to do was deforest everything. Mm -hmm. And then plant and, you know, start doing their crops and everything. So, for instance, our town, 1639, Guilford was founded. But it wasn't until much later, until kind of like what... uh, post-revolutionary times that the stone wall building became more prevalent because mm-hmm. stones started coming up more because of the farming, mm-hmm. because of the weather conditions that they went through a small ice age during that time, because of roads and horses eroding the roads and stones coming up that way. So the main stone wall building in New England happened from 1775 to like the 1820s or so. And then after that, the stones kind of kept randomly coming up for the most part, but it wasn't that huge upsurge that first happened.
0: Mm-hmm. So that was kind of fascinating.
1: Yeah. I have to ask, were they built by slaves in in New England, you know there were slaves who did, mm-hmm. he did he does mention that. Mm-hmm. most of it was done by the farmer working the land who okay. had to clear it. Okay. So most of the plots were a certain size because that's how far most pe most men could carry a stone and just mm-hmm. kind of plop it down, and they're called uh, like throne walls that were just kind of plopped there along the side of the field. And then later on, once things started to get settled and towns started popping up and becoming prosperous, then there were you know, groups of men who made walls or slaves who worked on a property. Okay. But it, mainly it was you know a small farm situation. The nice stone walls that we see now were built
0: after things had already been settled for the most part, you know? But Um, mostly by the people who owned the land. See, I always wonder that when I I used to drive to see Jacob down in Kentucky, there were these beautiful just miles Mm -hmm. of stone walls, and I always just kind of felt like, Ooh, you know, they were built on the backs of slaves, and I'm sure they were. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, you know, there were plantation homes yeah. by these walls, too. Well, so here it, they're different.
1: It, it, yeah, they are different. And, and most of the stone walls that were built from those early colonial times, if they haven't been maintained, they've crumbled and, and gone back into the land. And he talks about that, too, that, you know, nothing is permanent. Right. The stones aren't necessarily permanent, either talks about how those stone walls were initially built to help just clear the land or get them out of the road mm-hmm. and help demarcate roads as well but those pretty stone walls that you see were pretty much reserved for near the house okay yeah they were a sign of prosperity in some cases and also another assumption people make about stone walls is that different stone walls in different regions even like within New England are some type of Uh, taste, regional taste, when actually it's all dependent on the type of stone that's there. Of course. Because in some areas, the stone is round and heavy. Like, we have a lot of that here in our area. Whereas in other places in New England, it's more uh, slate that gets cracked, and it's more, like, rectangular. And so he talks Mm -hmm. about that. And then he talks about how when the population shift happened, around the turn of the 20th century, people started looking at stone fences as something to be preserved and taken care of and even built so there are a lot of situations where stone walls were found that you know walls that had crumbled were then taken someplace else and reconstructed for somebody else who bought it oh so weird. he talks about what a shame that is actually cuz it's it's not preserving the local sure. history yeah. and local ecology and things like that and one thing he didn't mention in this book, and granted it was written in two thousand and two, when we first moved here, our realtor or somebody had told us that there was a an epidemic of people's stone walls actually being stolen in oh the God. middle of the night. <laughs> that doesn't seem like yeah. an easy thing to do. I know, accomplish. exactly, right? <laughs> but like people really want these old, you know, moss and lichen lichen, is that how you say that word? Yeah. Lichen yeah. covered wall, you know, stones and everything. Huh. So that happened a lot too. So you do see some that have mortar now between them, which are you know yeah. obviously hard to steal. Right. But the traditional <laughs> New England stone walls didn't have any kind of mortar or anything; they were really
0: fit together. Still by seems guys. like those would be hard to steal. You it would seems think like so, they would right? fall apart. I know, it's like, call yeah. me crazy. Wouldn't that be something. Like you wake <laughs> yeah. up and your stone I had that so. happen in my old house with a plants. I woke up one morning and someone had pulled all my house out of the ground. Don't that's crazy, do, house that's house do that. really? Yeah. Like that took work. You had to bring a shovel to do I know. that. You know? Wow. Yeah. People are funny. People are crazy.
1: Wow. Yeah. So I love the book. I know I talked a lot about it, um, but I, it was just fascinating. Like I think I said in my review, it contains just about everything you didn't know you'd be interested to know about New England stone walls. And it is true. Very enjoyable wow. book. So if you're not into nature or geology or natural history, but you want to try a book that has regional. Cultural significance, I totally recommend this one. And again, that's Stone by Stone
0: by Robert Thorson. Great. So, as I mentioned, I drove to Ohio and back, so I got to get a couple audiobooks in that way. And the first one I listened to was called Navel Gazing True Tales of Bodies, Mostly Mine, and then in parentheses, but also my mom's, which I know sounds weird. <laughs> It was written by Michael Ian Black, who is a famous actor who I'm not really familiar with, I'm embarrassed to say. Um, He's an actor and a comedian, and um, I listened to it on audio as I was driving. It's essays, a book of essays, but also I'm noticing kind of this trend where it's Mm memoir-ish via essays. So that's what I would – I almost feel like there's a new – I'm not going to call it a new genre but it's not just a straight memoir i mean it was he wrote essays mm-hmm. but he talks about himself and his life essentially and the the basic premise of it is that he's turned 40 and he's confronting his genetic legacy because his mother is very ill and has been mm-hmm. ill for a lot of her life and so that's the whole point about the navel gazing because his mother actually doesn't have a navel oh wow she'd had so many abdominal surgeries that at some point they had to remove her navel which i guess is not as simple as yeah. it might sound i had so, a friend that happened to really she has no yeah. belly button anymore. yeah no. oh. so it's very funny i mean he starts with the loss of his starting to lose his hair having thinning hair and how of all the potential things happening in his future of aging, like, that is the one to him that is completely intolerable. So he immediately goes to a doctor to find out how to stop that threat from happening and I think ends up taking medication or something like that. But it, it has to do with his marriage and his children and mm-hmm. his career. And um, he is very funny. He narrates it himself. Mm he's irreverent. I laughed. I had, I drove to my brother's, which is an eight and a half hour drive and it went very quickly. I think it was about a six hour audio. So it was perfect. I listened to the whole thing and then got to squeeze in a couple podcasts as well. Um, so again, navel gazing, true tales of bodies, mostly mine, but also my mom's, which I know sounds weird (laughs) by, by Michael Ian Black.
1: And how did you come across that one?
0: You know, it was the night before. I have tons of audiobooks I'm waiting to get, you know, from the library. But it was the night before I was leaving. And I was like, well, I have to have one for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I had finished The Colson Whitehead. I thought that might have been, um, you know, my book. But um, I finished it. And so I just went to the library, you know, to overdrive and to see what was available. And I like, I kind of like to listen to nonfiction on a long drive. I mm-hmm. feel like it keeps me awake. Mm-hmm. More than sometimes with fiction, I get a little lost and yeah. my mind wanders or I get sleepy. So I thought, oh, a good comedy, would, you mm-hmm. know, would be good. So nice, oh, like, cool. Yeah, and I think I had heard him interviewed on Fresh Air as well. So okay. I, so I recognized, that's a hard name to forget. Mm-hmm. I recognize the name of the book. So all right, cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah I do better with nonfiction too. Uh, audio, <clears throat> yeah, fiction is yeah. challenging for me sometimes. So the last book that I've read, the last book I've read since the last time we talked, does that make sense? Yeah. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's a kid's book and and it's by Amy Ehrlich and it's called Willa, the story of Willa Cather, comma, an American writer. And I heard about this from the uh, Willa Cather Foundation and I actually bought it through them, through their website. And so this book, it's for kids ages seven to 10. And I have to say, I'm just so surprised, not in necessarily a good way, by the decisions that the author made on what to include and what to exclude. And one of the big disappointments is that it refers to Willa Cather's lifelong companion as her friend. Mm -hmm. And I just think, really? Yeah. It's, you know, 2016. This book is for 7 to 10-year-olds. Yeah. I think that is
0: just, it's just not tolerable anymore in this day and age. It's an interesting question because you know kids they just want to know the truth and mm-hmm. they don't they don't make things bigger than they are right you know I know and so I don't understand why they can you know it's almost as if they're trying to dumb it down and 7 to 10 year olds are not you know little right. kids they're right? not at yeah. all right yeah. Edith Lewis was her companion if you mm-hmm. want to use that word or mm-hmm. her
1: partner right um and I know I've gone around with with some people about that that well it's you know age appropriate Like, what is age appropriate? We're talking Mm -hmm. about two adults who choose to spend their life together. We're not talking about vaginas and genitalia, you know, and what adults do with their body parts, you know? Oh, absolutely. That's the mistake grownups make. They do make that. Like, they sexualize every other relationship other than heterosexual relationships. Mm -hmm. And I I think that does such a disservice to kids. Yeah. It really does. So I'm I'm really, uh, I'm talking about the book because uh, I was excited to hear about there being a biography for kids about Willa Cather. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm just disappointed
0: when well, you're also a history buff. And so for it to not really be a, an accurate portrayal of her historically is yeah. probably really offensive to you.
1: Yeah. Especially for younger kids too. When you think about her fiction, she I'm going to just stop talking because okay. I don't want to go into okay. it, but yeah. Okay.
0: All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe this means that there's space for you to do something about it, girl. Hell yeah. You know, right. Yeah. So my return um, <laughs> book from Ohio was another audio and another memoir. And this is one I've been wanting to, to um, read or listen to for a long time. It's called Yes, Chef. And it's by Marcus Samuelson, who is a chef. If any of you watch the Food Network, you will recognize he's a, a, a pretty famous um, chef. And he's of Ethiopian descent, but he, um, due to tuberculosis, he lost his mother and was orphaned. He and his sister were orphaned in Ethiopia, and they ended up being adopted by a family into Sweden. And his Swedish grandmother was quite the cook, and he spent a lot of his years growing up in his Swedish grandmother's kitchen. So he has this fantastic accent, and he he narrates his own, you know, um, memoir and he is famous now for um the running of a restaurant called Aquavit in New York City and then um is no he's no longer associated with that restaurant but that's the restaurant he was working at when he won the James Beard award mm-hmm. and he now owns um many things but the one that I know of that he's most famous for is Red Rooster in Harlem which I would really like to go to and might in, in fact fe- when I go back to New York in February Um, I really enjoyed it. It was incredibly compelling. It kept me company the entire ride home from Ohio. If you are someone who enjoys memoirs and someone who likes any books about food and um, that sort of thing, then I highly recommend this book. He does a nice job of also just talking about preparing different dishes, um, which with his accent and, you know, the excitement and the thrill of the kitchen is really fun, so... And he has he's not just had a blessed life either. He's had his um, you know, triumphs and his failures in the restaurant industry too, and he's very honest about those. So, so Yes Chef by Marcus Samuelson. Sounds good. Oh
1: wow. yeah, yeah, and you have another one
0: too. I do, I have two yeah. more. Um <laughs> I, I've been busy, I've been reading. No school. Um the next one I read was a work of fiction called All Is Not Forgotten. Um, it takes place in Connecticut. I did not write down the author's name, so I will have to look that up as I'm talking. Um, This is a disturbing book. This book starts, so this is not a spoiler, it starts with a pretty um, clear description um, of a rape scene. And the premise of the book after that um, happens is about therapy, that's a true therapy that was started to be used... um, With PTSD survivors in the military, where within 36 hours of a traumatic event, um, if given the right cocktails of drugs, you can actually forget about the trauma that you suffered. Like literally, it is wiped from your memory. That doesn't mean that you don't wake up and you're missing your arm or your leg or, you know, all of your friends are now no longer here, but you have absolutely no memory of it. That sounds kind of sketch. Yeah. So oh. this um, woman who was raped, they did, they utilized that therapy with her. And so, again, she knows that she was raped, but she doesn't remember anything about it. So there's a whole um, uh, part of the book that's about, you know, then they can't solve the crime because she can't. Yeah. She, as the victim, she has no information about the crime, you know? Yeah. So there's um different characters. There's there is a soldier who's had the same therapy, and then there's this young woman who's had the therapy, and then there it takes fifty pages into the book for you to figure out who the narrator is. Mm-hmm. And I won't spoil who it is, but <clears throat> ultimately what, what can happen with these people who've been treated is that there's therapies where they can try to reinsert the memories. Mm-hmm. Because they're finding obviously that it's more traumatic to not have them. Hell worry, yeah. Right? It would drive yeah. me insane. Yeah. 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 Basically. And and you yeah. know,
1: like when traumatic things happen and you can't remember parts of it. That like yeah. so much of what yeah. does drive people insane, I think.
0: Right. Well, and again, mm-hmm. it's not like you don't, you know, you know something bad happened to you. Mm-hmm. You don't have an arm or whatever yeah. it is. You just don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. So and actually I did write um the author was name is Wendy Walker and she's a lawyer mm-hmm. by trade, and I, I t- tend to really like books written by lawyers. I think that they're um, they're very good writers. Um, they're succinct mm-hmm. writers. So again, it's called All Is Not Forgotten by Wendy Walker. I do want to just say one thing about Goodreads and rating books on Goodreads. Um, I think the whole star system is, you know, kind of tricky. And I, you know, now that people might be looking at my ratings, because I have a book podcast, I just want to have a caveat, which is, um, you know, I thought this book was incredibly well written. I thought that the subject matter was very disturbing. And so Mm -hmm. I gave it 3.5 stars. And that has nothing to do with the writing of the book. It had to do with me just being, you know, somewhat traumatized by reading it. So um, and I think personally, I think a three star rating doesn't mean you didn't like a book. It's just not the most fantastic book you've ever read, or there's a reason that, you know, you rated it. Yeah,
1: I you know, the star rating, I just, I go back and forth with the star rating because so much of it is, it's just tricky, Yeah, you know, to give a lame answer. Yeah, Because even looking back at some of the books I rated years ago, I think like, oh my God, I only gave that two stars or three stars when that book has just stuck with me and, and it's become a part of me. In ways that other books just don't. And I sometimes think of not doing the ratings in that way because I just, yeah, I just feel like it does a
0: disservice sometimes to a book. And sometimes people change their ratings. You know, Mm -hmm. they find like two months later, I'm still thinking about this book. I'm going to change the rating. To me... I just do, you know, when I put it in, it's what I think it is that day. And, you know, maybe I was in a bad mood, you know, who knows? But Or maybe I've been really happy in my life and everything gets a five. I don't know. Yeah. So I just want to, you know, have that little caveat out mm-hmm. there that. Yeah. Um, I thought this was a really well-written book, um, but disturbing subject matter. And then the next book I read is a book called Traveling Light by Katrina Kittle. And that's with two K's. Katrina and Kittle are both K's. And um, she's an Ohio writer from where I used to live, and I never read her when I was there. And she was even involved with the Antioch Writers Workshop, which is a great writing workshop that takes place in Yellow Springs, Ohio. And I was even their bookkeeper, and, yeah. I, and I met Katrina Kittle and never read her, which is so funny. And when I was in Yellow Springs, I was sitting with a group of friends who are podcast listeners, mm-hmm. and they were we started talking about her. And, they, and I said, well, tell me which book you'd start with. And they said traveling light. And then two days later, I was taking a walk in the neighborhood where I was staying and there was a little free library and there it was. So (laughs) I picked it up and I started reading it. Um, It is, it's a sad book. It's about um, a sister and brother and their whole family and the brother is dying of AIDS. And it's um, at a time when people didn't want to talk about it and when people were very homophobic. And so one of the siblings tells people in the community that he's dying of cancer, which is very upsetting to the other sister. Mm-hmm. And so it's a family drama. Um, it was written in 2000. So obviously a lot has changed around the discussion of AIDS and even the implications of AIDS. I mean, a lot of um, good work has taken place in the, in the medical world mm-hmm. around survivor surviving AIDS, of course. But that, this book did not take place during that time. Um, I thought it was well written. Um, it was one of those where I really couldn't put it down, but it is not uplifting. I definitely mm-hmm. spent the beginning of the year, the end of the year, and the beginning of the year with some tough books. So
1: yeah, yeah.
0: So again, traveling light by Katrina Kittle.
1: Excellent. Oh God, I did read another book. Oh, The Strays. Uh, Emily right. Bitto, yeah, B I T T O, and it, that was my first book for the Australian Woman Writers Challenge that I'm doing. How could I forget that? I just, mm. I just finished it like two days ago, and I'm still mulling it over. Um, it's just, it, it's an intense read. It won the, uh, what was it, the twenty fifteen Stella Prize, which is an Australian award that's just been around. I don't know, uh, five six years. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. But it was an award that was started to help uh, eradicate the gender imbalance in books written and reviewed by women, and that's also why the challenge started, the Reading Challenge. Yeah, okay. But it's about uh, it's based on uh, two writers and a uh, two, uh, not writers, two painters in Australia in the 1930s who were abstract painters, and at that time Australia was going through a very conservative time politically, and these abstract paintings were counter to that so the the novel's loosely based I guess on that couple but the fictional kids in the book there's they have three daughters and it's their a friend of the middle daughter who's the narrator of the book so it's a first person narrated story Mm -hmm. and she ends up living with the family and they invite the mom and dad invite other artists to come live there and so they have kind of a commune the dad is the star painter the up-and-coming and the mother is from old money and paints herself. So it's it's kind of about the wildness of that family, the bohemian lifestyle. And the girl who's the narrator who comes to live with them is from a, a more conservative, I wouldn't even say conservative, more traditional family. You know, mom, dad, dinner, regular hours, regular sleeping hours, you know, expectations right. and everything. So of course the young girl's attracted to this, complete opposite. So in a lot of ways, the book is about opposites Mm -hmm. and, and how they go together, don't go together. And I, I'm, I'm still mulling it over, but I, I really enjoyed it. And I thought it was a mystery for some reason. There, there is a lot of suspense. I mean, it's a book that it kind of compulsively readable because it's written with some nostalgia and there's, like, anxiety, like, is just embedded in the writing. So, like, you want to keep reading because you know something's going to happen. Mm. Something's coming. And so it was it was very good in that way. Oh, nice. Yeah. Great. So that was The Strays by Emily Nito. Great. Sorry. And that one, oh, I should say, I saw it on display at the bookstore where we were yesterday. It was just released in the United States. Oh, great. So look for it in your, oh, great. your local indie. Excellent. Yeah.
0: So should we move on to what we're currently reading? Yes, currently reading. You want to start with that? Sure. I am currently reading Bad Feminism by Roxane Gay. It's a book of essays, so it's nonfiction. And um, we'll talk more about Roxane Gay yeah. when we talk about our recent adventures. <laughs> and then I'm also reading The English Patient. I'm doing oh, the audio started that? and okay. reading it. will oh, yeah. cool. We'll, we'll, um, at the end of the episode, we'll uh, come back around to The English Patient. I will say it's the first audio in a long time I've listened to where I'm not quite sure about it. It's a little bit too much enthusiasm oh. or something. And then it's like, Caravaggio said he was gonna, you know. And
1: I was wow. Like, was it like from the 90s,
0: that recording? Maybe? Oh, you know, I have to look. And yeah, that was a terrible impression, by the way. I don't do impressions. <laughs> but the other day I was cooking this dinner and listening to it. And I was like, oh my God, this is too much. But... Anyway, I should look and see if there. Are, I would think it's maybe been narrated a couple different by a couple different people, maybe, but this yeah. was the only one that available at the <laughs> library. So, so i I think I'm going to give up on the. You know, I think it's due back soon anyway. I think I'm going to move over to the book which I have. Mm-hmm. So, all right, cool. All
1: right. Well, I'm also reading Bad Feminist by Roxanne Gay. I just started it yesterday on the train heading into New York, and I'm really loving it. It's already making me, you know, think differently about some good things and. And giving me language to understand things that have been floating around in my head. Yeah. So, i um, enjoying brilliant. that. Yeah. And then I'm going to start today. Um, Carmilla by Joseph Sheridan LaFanu. That was one for my classics club. This is a, it's an early vampire story dealing with a woman vampire. It's a woman vampire. So the edition that I have, it's a, it's a critical edition from Syracuse University Press. It's from 2013. It's edited by Kathleen Costello Sullivan. And I found this when I went to University of Connecticut up in stores last year at some point when it was announced that their co-op bookstore was being turned over to Barnes Noble ooh, University bookseller arm. I think it's Barnes & Noble. I could be wrong. Um, but I wanted to go check it out while it was still a co-op. So I went okay. up there. And one of my favorite things to do at, at university or college bookstores is to wander their textbook aisles mm-hmm. and see what is being currently taught in English classes. Yeah. So that was fun. And that's where I found oh. that. So that's Excellent. what I'm currently reading. Excellent.
0: So it was recent adventures. we had a bunch. We have, and we, we have one boo-hoo, though. We had a big storm over the weekend, and so we could not go to the Moby Dick Marathon. That was a bummer. That was a big bummer. I was excited, and I'm also hopeful that that doesn't mean we'll be blacklisted next year. I hope not, yeah.
1: You know, I'm going next year, whether or not I get chosen as a a reader. I just want to experience it. Yeah. You know, just to to be in that
0: enthusiasm and be surrounded by a bunch of Moby Dick fans. I know. It'd be fun. Total nerd fest. And, you know, I I was made even sadder (laughs) because people were, you know tweeting and posting on Facebook and it was like, oh, but we, Chris was actually the voice of reason I probably would have gotten up mm-hmm. at four in the morning and driven, you know, in a snowstorm. Um, I don't think we would have made it in no. time though. Cause yeah. our, our reading slots were what, 840, yeah.
1: 845. Yeah. And we probably would have had to leave at like, two or three in the morning when it was still snowing. And I just don't even know if we would have still made it in time.
0: Well, and at the time you called me to be the voice of reason, there was a 20 car accident on I-91. So, you know, it was a good thing, but (laughs) what we ended up being able to do on Sunday, since we didn't do that was go to RJ Julia for um, an event with Will Schwabi, I think is how he pronounced his name. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he has a new book out called books for living. He is the author of the book, End of Your Life Book Club, if any of you read that, which was a lovely book that he wrote um, about reading books with his mother as she was battling and then unfortunately lost her battle with cancer. Books for Living is different. It's about books that he, um, they're not necessarily his favorite books, but they're books that he feel like feels like um, have impacted his life, have given his life meaning in a certain way or affected his life. Mm-hmm. Um. And he told a story, I think you were a few minutes late. I'm not sure if you caught this story. He told a story at the very beginning about um, this airport um, nightmare that he has. <laughs> I didn't hear that. <laughs> no, okay. Where it was just, I mean, you just walked in just like a minute or two late and he had told this story at the very beginning um, where he his nightmare, which I think some many of us readers share, is that he's sitting at the airport and the gate's about to close and he realizes he has nothing to read on the airplane. <laughs> yeah. And so then the rest of the nightmare is him running. Well, first you have to make the decision. Do I, you know, miss the plane to go try to find a book or do I um, get on a plane without a book? And so then the rest of the nightmare is his running around the airport and there's no place to buy a book, you know, oh, man. And it's I just terrible. had that experience. You know, I, I don't like uh-uh. to read with my e-reader that, that often. And when I do, it's when I'm traveling, on, usually on an airplane, and mm-hmm. I put 10 books on, you know, mm-hmm. to be sure just, yeah. for my two-hour flight that I don't <laughs> run out of reading material. And the last time I was getting on a plane, I, I I wasn't on the plane yet. I was at the gate. I go to open a new one I just put on, and my e-reader crashes. Oh. It is frozen. And I, there's no question for me, I will miss my flight before I will get on a plane with only the, you know, Sky Magazine or whatever, so... I thought that was a really cute story. That is a great yeah. story. Yeah. yeah, there's
1: that's just so
0: bad. Yeah. I know I
1: did that one time when they first started checking your roll-ons when you're coming in if mm-hmm. the crowd the flight's really crowded. Yeah, and I had my book in there and the steward or stewardess flight attendant, flight attendant said, "Would you like to check your bag? And I was like, we'll check it for you." I was like, "Yeah, sure." You know, yeah. and I'm walking on the plane. I'm like, "Oh, son of a bitch." like no book. And you really got on the plane? I well, I was halfway down the aisle before I, I realized you. I like, would have
0: turned around. I'm not kidding you. Like when I'm on a plane and I see those people who are just staring straight ahead of them. Yeah. I mean, my only the I, only I, second part of that nightmare to me of not having a book is sitting next to somebody yeah. who chats with you the entire flight. That's like the worst. That's, yeah, oh that's that's my, I can't yeah, stand that. Yeah. 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 So I I'll just yeah. start
1: like picking my nose in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> Quit talking to me. I shouldn't say that. I, I mean, I have had an enjoyable conversation here and
0: there, but like nothing like long where people just don't shut up. Like, no, I read from the moment my feet hit the airport. Literally, like when I'm standing in the security line, I'm reading, when I'm sitting, it's like, do not talk to me on the airplane. That is not what airplane travel is for. So anyway. Funny. He That's also awesome. told he also talked about this other lovely um thing he was talking about having a, an interview with a journalist and he said to her I think um we should all always ask people what they're reading mm-hmm. and she really disagreed with him she was like well but what if the person you ask isn't a reader mm-hmm. and they're they're kind of embarrassed and he said well all the more reason to ask them because then you can suggest some books to them and They kind of went back and forth. And then um, he said, you have to, they were in New York, I think, or something. He said, you have to take a cab when you leave this interview, right? And she said, yes. He said, I challenge you when you get in that cab to ask the cab driver what he or she is reading. Mm -hmm. And she kind of guffawed at him, but she took the bait. And she gets in the cab and asks the driver. And the driver of the taxi cab pulls over. And eyes start to fill with tears and says, no one has asked me that question. People always ask me where I'm from.
1: And he's from Egypt. He's from
0: Egypt. He was a professor there in Egypt. Yeah. And
1: now working as a cab driver. And and that question touched him so deeply.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
1: what a connection. Mm -hmm. And that's what Will's point was, is that it can be such a way to bring two people together to talk about what you're reading. Yeah, that was a beautiful story. And he was just delightful. Yeah, he was very delightful. Just so charming. The kind of person you could just listen to forever. And actually, when I walked in, as as Emily said, a couple minutes late, and the first book he was talking about was The Girl on the Train, Mm. which, you know, it's a thriller. A lot of people blow thrillers off. But he said it actually taught him about trust. And made him look at trust in a different way, trusting other people, trusting yourself. It's
0: fascinating. Yeah, so I think it'd be a really interesting book to read. He covers quite a bit of territory. He even talks about a cookbook, I think, because he's currently a cookbook editor. Yeah, he's into cookbooks big time. So I think it would be a book that would broaden your reading list, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. So again, Will Schwabi Books for the living, or books for living. There's books no. For uh, living. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was good. And then our other adventure. Well, that
1: was our joint jaunt. We yeah. went on another joint jaunt. I have a, a solo adventure to mention real quick. First, um, I went to New York last week to see the Martin Luther exhibit at the Morgan Library, which was really awesome. Um, I was a uh, I was planning on going with a friend. Our our friend uh, Jennifer, Mm -hmm. friends with both of us. Um, Unfortunately, she was under the weather, but I didn't want to miss this exhibit. The title is Word and Image, Martin Luther's Reformation, and it ends January 22nd, so Mm. I definitely wanted to get there, and I hung out until the 3 o'clock. They do a 3 o'clock free tour of whatever the major exhibition is that's led by one of the docents, and wow, I'm so glad I did that Mm. because she was just on it. She was funny and so knowledgeable and when other people were talking about what they knew about Luther she was so open to it I've I've been on tours before where the docent is you know really resistant to that Mm -hmm. and I can understand that because I'm sure a lot of misinformation sometimes gets passed around but it was really great and one of the points of this exhibit was that Luther one of the reasons he was so popular is that he was one of the first writers whose image was everywhere Mm. because he had a a neighbor, the artist uh, Lucas Kronach, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, who was a painter and also a businessman. He made so many images of Luther, Mm. and Luther also was writing just around the time, just shortly after the printing press was up and going. So that combination of having his image out there and his writing, he also wrote short, and brief, Mm -hmm. and very readable, Mm -hmm. so that the common people could read, Mm -hmm. and there were actually more images of Luther around during his lifetime than there were of the Pope, Mm. so that was fascinating, so that's why they call it word and image, so it was, it was a really, a a neat exhibition, again, it ends January 2nd, uh, 22nd, at the Morgan Library Museum,
0: I hope to get there, one of my trips to New York City,
1: we're going to go, because, and I'll talk about that, okay, all right, in, a, in our next segment. Well,
0: yeah, our okay. next segment. Well, we still have another joint jaunt yes. to cover. We spent the day in New York City yesterday. yesterday. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're recovering from we're, it today. We're both a little tired. You know, I'm a year older now, people. I turned a year older this week. It takes me a while to recover. We didn't get home until 1 in the morning. I know, and we
1: left at, like, what, 1030 in yeah. the morning. Yeah. So yeah. it was an yeah. all-day great yeah. adventure. It was gorgeous weather. Yeah. It was we like were 60 degrees. I, yeah, 60 65 or something. Yeah. We were ra- walking around
0: without jackets on for yeah.
1: quite of the day. So,
0: so we covered some territory. Mm-hmm. We went um, to a very cool bookstore that Chris had told me about called I don't know how to say it. Chris Kinokuniya. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Okay. We'll put it Kino in the show notes Kun- It's a Japanese um, bookstore. There's locations in New York, New Jersey, Chicago, San Francisco, San Jose, Seattle, Portland, Los Angeles, Costa Mesa, Mm -hmm. and Santa Monica. Go, people. Oh,
1: and you know how I found out about it originally?
0: was from fellow Booktopian,
1: Suzanne Weiner.
0: Oh, from Chicago. yeah, Yeah, when I
1: lived in Illinois, she had proposed going there or asked if I'd ever been there. And maybe she'd been there already, but I hadn't. And we went together and checked it out
0: the It was yeah. really incredible. And I'm really glad we gave, Chris and I are really good. We walk in and Chris is like, okay, how much time? So I think we did 50 minutes or something because like we that. had yeah. other things to do. And I was shocked when I looked at my watch and was, my time had elapsed. Yeah. So they, it, they have a lot of really cool um, books in Japanese, of course, and a lot of design books. Mm-hmm. And then... They also have quite a large fiction section of both um, translated Japanese writing, but also just, you know, typical contemporary fiction. And if you're a, how do you say it? Ma- manga, manga, M- manga? Manga? Manga. 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 manga, manga their entire manga, third floor. Manga, yeah. That's all it was. Yeah. I mean, huge. I couldn't believe it. Aisle after aisle.
1: Yeah. And they have a great stationery section. Yes. And then they also have a little cafe mm-hmm. where you can um, get some food. I had some sushi last time I was there. Okay. So, yeah. yeah,
0: I spent a lot of time in the stationery section, I have to admit, and lost in the markers and the paper and the binders, etc. Yeah. Um, very, very, nice. very cool store. So we'll put it in the show notes um, with a website, too. Um, I'm not sure we're doing the name justice.
1: Yeah, I don't know either. And um, my friend Percy, when he saw that I was there last time, had said that the store, and, and he's been to the New York store, and the one in Illinois. The one in Illinois is part of a bigger store situation like kind of like an indoor Asian type mall but the this place in New York three stories like yeah, it's huge stand-alone. yeah he said though the, their store in San Francisco is even better yeah. and, and just completely awesome so
0: okay
1: anybody goes there give us
0: a report yeah send yes. pictures show us what you buy <laughs> what your loot is yeah <laughs> and then so, we went to the main library yeah and New worked York. in the reading room for a little while which was lovely it's recently reopened mm-hmm. Um, fully restored. It's yes. gorgeous. We put a picture or two on our Facebook page if you want to yeah. check it out. And my aunt met us there to join us for dinner. So Chris mm-hmm. got to meet my New York City aunt who yeah. I do a lot of book adventures with. Hi Ellen. Hi Ellen. <laughs> and she told me, you probably know this Miss History Buff, but um, that part of the, or the reason the renovation occurred is because part of the ceiling fell out fell down and so then they were like well I guess we got to check the whole thing you know and so it's been beautifully restored and they were still working on it there was one chandelier that was covered with um what do you call those um scaffold scaffolding, scaffolding yeah. which really made you appreciate the length that they had to go to to that was just to one chandelier yeah. you know yeah, out of many. And I really liked it. It was very well lit. Mm-hmm. and people were getting down to business there. And I'm sure there were some famous authors there.
1: Absolutely, there were. yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure of it. There had so, to be. Yeah.
0: yeah. they had a neat display too, of a
1: like two big stacks of books um, that were researched and written while while that that was it that's the bass reading room mm-hmm. was undergoing its restoration that while, while it was closed to the public, there was still research going on. Right. And I don't know how many books, like, what, 30, yeah, 40 I say, or something? Yeah. Like it was a, a big stack, and yeah. it was all different kinds. Yeah, all yeah. different kinds of books, yeah. yeah. So one by Joseph Finder, I know. The other
0: one, When Books Go to War, mm-hmm. that was on there. So yeah, so people really go in there. I, I think you can order the books that you you want for your research ahead of time, and they're waiting for you when you arrive, and yeah. it's a really cool space. Totally. Then we went out to supper, and then we went to the 92nd Street Y to see Rock Sand Gay. It was a
1: great event, man, and wow. it was packed. It was sold out. Sold out. out. Six hundred and fifty. Yeah. Seats all sold out, and we scored seats in the front. Like nobody was going all the way to the front. Yeah.
0: And that was really neat to be to yeah. be that close. And I have good news for every for you for for everyone. Is that the, yeah, right. I have good news for everyone, which is that. I went to the 92nd Street Y Facebook page today and they have the entire event
1: Do on they? video available oh, awesome. so you guys
0: can go and watch it. I highly recommend it. That's so cool. It was a special evening. It I mean, was. I have been to a lot of book events and a lot of author events. She's not just a bad feminist, she is a bad ass. <laughs> totally. I am here to tell you. <laughs> yeah. She's brilliant. The guy who she was in conversation with his name is Saeed Jones. Um, he's a poet. And the executive director for culture at BuzzFeed, um, he has a poetry collection himself called Prelude to Bruise. We should mention that Roxane Gay's new book that she's promoting is called Difficult Women, mm-hmm. and it's a short story collection. It's a fictional collection. And I didn't know this. She she told us last night that it was the original book that she shopped around to publishers. Yeah. That she couldn't get published. She couldn't get published. So now that she's had a book of essays and a work of fiction published, she was like, "Ha ha, suckers!" <laughs> she said exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she's super proud of it. Yeah. So, yeah. And I guess short short fiction, short stories, is her um, preference to write. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that's what she said. Yeah. she said.
1: She's primarily. That's how
0: she sees herself as a short story writer. Yeah. And her book, Untamed State, for those of you who have read that, that's her novel. It is one of the best books I've ever read, but also incredibly difficult subject matter. Um, it's about a kidnapping um, in Haiti. But um, she's just finished the screenplay for that. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be made into a movie, too, which is big news and exciting. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. she's so she's so real. She's so...
1: Honest and
0: inspirational. And humbled, too. Yeah, very humble person. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, so she said this thing about the election. There was a question and answer period, and she was so kind. I mean, a lot of people ask questions. And, um, and she
1: really answered the questions. Did. I just want to say that. Yeah.
0: Sometimes writers don't,
1: they yeah. kind of talk about what they want to, like she really listened. Mm-hmm. She got the question and she answered
0: it for the person. She answered it honestly and thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. And someone asked her about, you know, the results of the election. And she said, you know, of course, not happy with it, but it's really inspired her, and she feels like that's how we all need to feel, and we need to get out there and you know do what it, whatever it is we do. In her mm-hmm. case, it's to write. Right. You know,
1: yeah. And uh, somebody tweeted out her her quote basically that Hillary didn't lose the election misogyny and racism won the election right which you know and not
0: just hillary but feminism it was that was that quote was kind of pointed to feminism where people said feminism is dead or something yeah but yeah it's dead it's not relevant it lost
1: yeah and and that's what she talks about in bad feminists feminists too is that it's feminism you know there's capital f feminism Mm -hmm. you know and then there's capital f feminists so Mm -hmm. like When one of those, you know, whether they're a self-proclaimed feminist or taken as um, an idol and put on a pedestal, when they get knocked down, people think, well, feminism is fucked. It doesn't work. But that's, you know, that's really not the way to look at it. It's not a healthy way to look at it.
0: Right. Or or helpful, healthy or helpful. Right. Right. Oh, and one other cool thing that happened during the question and answer portion is about, I think, three or four questions in, a woman two rows back sitting right behind us goes to ask a question. And then Saeed Jones says, (laughs) Jacqueline Woodson, is that Jacqueline Woodson? You know, for those of you who don't know that, who that is, that's national book award winner, Jacqueline Woodson, who wrote the book and won for the book Brown Girl Dreaming, which was a a YA novel and has a new book out, I think in 2016 called Another Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a a funny moment because you could see that, Every, you know, all of the authors were kind of like, ah, yeah. having a moment with each other, you know, like, oh, there's power in the house. You know? Yeah. So that was, that, was, that awesome. was kind of cool. Yeah. It was a great event. And yeah. it was a
1: young event too. Mm-hmm. A lot of young people there. There were a couple of school groups there. Mm-hmm. I know who would met with her beforehand, I think. Oh, I didn't know that. Didn't, didn't they say something about that? Like I that they were there it. to have like, uh, you know, kind of one-on-one with an author or writer okay. who's published. Yeah. and Yeah. I think. I I think you're right. Yeah. 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 So that was, it was a great event. So, and I have to thank Emily for putting the whole day together. She sent me this whole itinerary. (laughs) I felt like a princess. I just had to show up and everything
0: was taken care of. (laughs) Well, you've taken me to so many things. I mean, I would never have known about the Moby Dick marathon were it not for you. So, you know, it was my pleasure. And I got to be on the subway for, for Chris's.
1: Yeah, it was my my ride. my New York subway debut yesterday yes. cuz I every time I go we just walk mm-hmm. everywhere. And I think one time I took a cab when I was really exhausted and had a full day of book shopping. Yeah. Um, but this is my first journey into the subway. So yeah. it smelled just like Chicago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she even had her first ride um on the subway during tra- uh, rush hour. Rush hour, yeah. So she really got the full experience. Well, and
1: her aunt uh, Ellen, thankfully, was you know, there were two trains we could have taken the express or the local. Mm-hmm. And the express, they were packed like sardines, yeah. and So she's like, We'll take the local, yeah. Which you yeah. know, it didn't took take a little longer, long, but you
0: know, we weren't sardine one, two, and three, yeah, yeah, of 500, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. Our upcoming jaunts, do yes. you? I have a I couple. have one okay. which I'm very excited about. I'm going to be going back to New York February 16th to actually meet up with some friends I met through books on the nightstand in Booktopia. We're going to go see Colson Whitehead, who is the writer of Underground Railroad in conversation with George Saunders, who mm-hmm. um is he wrote 10th of December um, and some, he has a new book out too. I'm not sure if it's out yet, but I think it's a novel. Mm-hmm. So I'll talk about that in the future, but that's February 16th at the 92nd street Y. Um, unfortunately, uh, it is sold out. So, but now that we know that I think that they film and post, mm-hmm. I'll let you guys know if they're doing that. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I'm So glad to hear that. Cause I know they mentioned last night that they were live
1: streaming yeah. it, but I'm happy that it's recorded too. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Well, um, an upcoming jaunt that I want to do, and it may, may end up being a joint jaunt, I'm not really sure, um, but the next, um, an, well, an upcoming exhibit at the Morgan Library, which I should just become a member already, yeah. um, it's an Emily Dickinson oh. exhibit, and the title of that is I'm Nobody, Who Are You? The Life and Poetry of Emily Dickinson, and that will run January 20th to May 21st. Oh, great. So, we'll i see in. Yeah, yeah. will see when, but I definitely want to make that. Excellent.
0: Very good. So we've got some fun ahead. Upcoming reads. Upcoming reads. You so want to take it away? Sure. For me, um, I have two. I'm going to um, read 10th of December by George Saunders since I'm oh, going nice. to see him. Yeah. I have. I think I've read two of the stories in the collection. Um, I know, I want to say it was 2015 that was people were really talking about that collection and I bought it and I just haven't gotten to it so it's on my nightstand literally and so I'm <laughs> going to start reading that and then I have a book club read for February called A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Toles. Um, that's T-O-W-L-E-S and I have been waiting for literally months to get that book from the library and I went the library today to donate books and there it was sitting on the seven days so oh, great i know what i'm doing this weekend when i'm not doing my schoolwork i'm <laughs> reading a gentleman in moscow by Amor more tolls
1: nice very cool well my upcoming reads i will be reading macbeth this Ooh. month in january with my friend john valerie that is our first pick for our calendar reading challenge our masters of literature um i also think i want to read a book that i, I got for christmas a couple years ago it's called Brand Luther, and it's by Andrew Pedigree. It's about Martin Luther and his brand and, oh. and how, you know, the writing or and the printing press and everything kind of came together at that time. So that book just came out, I think it was 2014 or 2015. I think it might have been a 2015 release. I'd, I, I think I'm going to just jump into that while I'm still... Um, kind of on my Luther high. Martin Luther yeah. high. And then I just got an advanced reader's copy of a book I'm really excited about. It's um, Patricia Cornwell's update on her Jack the Ripper book that came out back in 2002. Uh, the new title of this, it's an expanded edition, updated and expanded, I think is what they're calling it. And it's Ripper, The Secret Life of Walter Sickert. And that's coming out February 28th, 2017. And it is like I think it's just about 500 pages, but it is like heavy. Oh. I was just like, "What is that?" You know. Oh. So, um, big heavy book, but I'm looking forward to that because I'm I'm interested in in her um, updated research on looking at Jack the Ripper.
0: Mm. Yeah, That's some
1: heavy subject matter it there. Is. That's why the book's heavy, girl. You know, and I don't read <laughs> true crime really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've read I read in Cold Blood. Um, and I did read Jack the Ripper, Case Closed was the title of her, her first book. Um, but I, I think I like the way, you know, she looks at the the evidence, the DNA evidence that's out there. And that's I just true. can't handle true crime. No, it's too real. It, you know what, there was a, <laughs> I have a friend that I worked with that borders K, and she loves true crime. And I know there was this book at the bookstore one day, it was like a picture, you know, f- photographic book. And it was about suicides and murders from like 1930s and 40s, I think Chicago. She's like, you gotta check it out. And I remember like going to the shelf and standing there and kind of like flipping a couple pages and like I got dizzy Mm. and woozy and just (laughs) sit down and breathe because I just I can't handle that kind of stuff. There's something like thrillers and mysteries. I'm usually good with that, but Mm. true
0: crime, no thank you. No, it's too real. I mean, I don't want to think about what my neighbor might be doing. Yeah. You know, that's creepy. Ever Silence of the Lambs was the last where I was like, no, (laughs) my neighbor could be sewing a mannequin together with people skin. I don't want to know about that. (laughs) So Got to be careful about what we read, especially when we live alone in the woods. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> uh-huh. So Bump in the night. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, All right very well, that's good. a great episode. This is yeah. kind of a long episode. Well, we have, we, we got a lot of reading yeah, done in three weeks. Yeah. So. so you can find us on Facebook, Book Cougars. You can tweet at us, at Book Cougars. You can email us, bookcougars at gmail.com. We have... A read along coming up of the English patients. Yes, the
1: English patients. Yes. So if you have
0: any questions, we would really um, prefer that you get those to us by February first. Mm-hmm. February first.
1: You can email them to yeah. us at bookcougars at gmail.com. Yeah. If you have questions or things you want us to talk about, we'll we'll try and do that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to us talking about
0: a book that we both read. I know, it'll yeah. be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very good. To it. All right. And um, reminder that we have show notes at bookcougars.com that lists all the books and bookstores and things like that that we talk about on every episode. Yeah, So check it out. And
1: if you're listening to us on iTunes and would like to give us a review, we'd love to hear your feedback.
0: Yes. And that helps other people find us as well. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, all right. everybody. Bye, everybody.
1: Happy reading. Happy reading. <laughs>